amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. shall be my hope and longing joy for me he died and raised to live again with my whole heart I give myself a sacrifice he is my rock and only righteousness. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. Amen. That's a great song, isn't it? Aren't we glad that he looked beyond our fault and saw our need? Amen. Well, let's go ahead. Take your Bible. Turn over the book of Matthew. And again, we want to cover a lot of ground as we close out this little series that we began a few weeks back. Biblical missions. It's what hinders or hampers missions today. And we've been talking about a couple of things. I want to start off by 
addressing the introduction again and kind of laying the groundwork or the foundation for uh, the work of the church as well as the ministry of every believer. Notice Matthew chapter 28. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing to ascend back to be with the Father after dying on the cross and being buried and resurrecting. And here we have him now leaving the marching orders, our marching orders, the church's marching orders, every believer's marching orders. Notice Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see here again the final words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he's gathered there, preparing to ascend, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So in Matthew and Acts, we find the mission of the church being stated. Everything else that takes place in the ministry is therefore a pursuit of that stated mission. Anything that transpires, anything that takes place, any activities that are scheduled, everything that we do as a local church ought to be centered around the mission that God gave us. It ought to just simply reinforce the goal or the mission that God gave to us. Now, Jesus would instruct his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost to come before launching out into ministry. Ten days after Jesus ascended up to be with the Father, the Holy Ghost would empower the church at Pentecost. There would be 3,000 people that would come to Jesus Christ, and there would be several thousands others that would come over the next months. Jerusalem was being saturated with the message of a risen Savior. Still, how would the world receive the gospel? How would the world get the gospel? I mean, it's one thing to deliver the gospel in a city. It's another thing to deliver the gospel around the globe. We'll turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 13, and we kind of begin to see how God intends to do this. In Acts chapter 13, I mean, those apostles, those disciples were mighty men of God, but hold on, there's going to have to be others. Notice what it does, what he says here in Acts chapter 13. We see the method that will be employed or how the gospel would be sent around the world. Notice Acts 13 verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manium, Manium uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we see that Barnabas and Saul now are going to be literally picked or hand-chosen by the Holy Ghost and confirmed by the local church, and they're going to be sent out now to preach and proclaim the Word of God. Well, that's how it's supposed to work. It's how God intended it to be. And the ministry of Paul would spread across the Roman Empire. It continued to spread farther and farther as others picked up the mantle and carried on the work. 
Matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we read, the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So what we really find is that this element of reaching the world with the gospel isn't a matter of just mere addition. It becomes a matter of multiplication. Now all of a sudden we don't just have a simple preacher that proclaims the truth and hundreds or thousands are being saved, but now those hundreds and thousands are going out and doing the exact same thing that he did. And as a result now, it's not just a addition aspect, it's a multiplication factor. Multiplying the gospel and multiple souls being saved simultaneously. Later in his ministry, again, Paul would remind the Romans of the great need to send preachers to the farthest reaches of the world that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ could be preached. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then shall they call on him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I mean, why in the world do we spend all this time on missions? Why is it that we invest so much money into missions? Why is it that we're trying to do our best to gather up funds so that we can identify preachers that can go into the world? I'll tell you why. Because we want to see souls saved. Even as God wanted to see souls saved. Even as Jesus Christ wants to see souls saved. And just like it worked in the New Testament early on, it works that same way today. We are sitting, sitting here today and we are teaching and training exactly what we've been taught from the Word of God and from the men and women that have come before us. And now we are going to teach others that same thing who will then go out and do the same thing we've done. If, the, if Community Baptist Temple is where the gospel stops, my friend, we will be failures. That's why we sent Brother Rob out to start that church. That's why we've helped in the past sending out a fellow by a Brother White down in West Virginia. That's why we've invested in some of these church planters. That's why we have a college here that has just a small college, but it's a church planters. And Brother Starkey's planning on going out and starting a church or taking over some church that's literally dying on the vine and starting next year or the year after to go out and make that happen. Why? Because it's not about Community Baptist Temple. It's about the cause of Christ. It's about reaching the world with the gospel. And that's exactly what started transpiring and taking place in the early church. If we're to fulfill the mission that Christ has entrusted to us, then we too must send out others who will preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Simple, right? <laughs> well, unfortunately, there are some obstacles that have hindered the, mis the mission that we call missions. And that's what I've been addressing over the last few weeks. I mean, what hinders, what hampers missions today? We said first, changing values has hampered it. D.L. Moody once said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Without realizing it, we have redefined success. Success is living comfortably, both financially and recreationally today. Although there's nothing inherently wrong with things or recreation, the believer must be careful not to make the pursuit of such things our purpose for living. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the rates that is set before us. Well, the passage points out that every believer is running a race, and every believer should be striving to cross the finish line. The question becomes then, what are you and I striving for? What are we racing toward or racing for? Where does our race end? Is the objective of our race to fulfill the calling of God and please Him with our lives? Or is it some selfish or self-serving cause? The writer speaks of weights. And he claims that those weights can, obviously in the context of the passage, a runner, weights will slow down the race, slow down the runner. You and I being that runner, we've got to be careful that we don't get slowed down. Although weights may not be defined as sin, they can become sinful for us when they replace God's intended purpose for our lives. There's nothing wrong with golf. But if golf keeps us from accomplishing our intended purpose as believers, well then golf's got to go. If that's what it would do. There's nothing inherently wrong with golf. And there's nothing wrong with football. I'm going to watch it today. But if watching football would keep me from accomplishing God's calling and God's purpose for my life, then it becomes a weight. Oh, it's not sin in and of itself to watch a football game, I don't think. I'll watch it. But if it would hinder or hamper my fulfilling his purpose and calling for my life, problem, right? Then it becomes, it's a problem. It's got to go. And that's what we're addressing. That's what we're, we're noting. So, this changing value system has affected the outlook and perspective of a generation, and it has seriously hampered the surrender rate of our young men. Yeah. Our young men are saying, well, why would I want to go into ministry? Man, I, I want to have things, and I want to enjoy finances, and I want to have some leisure and relaxation. I want to enjoy uh, the things that I want to enjoy. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to necessarily be bound by responsibility of the ministry and have to meet all the needs of others all the time and not worry about me and mine. Huh? Changing values. It's hampered the surrender rate of our young men. So what's hampered and hindered missions? Well, we said changing values. But also countless vacancies we talked about. We noted that God's still looking for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Sadly, we have a decline, a decline in churches. We have a decline in attendance and even membership today. All the statistics are clear. Less and less people are attending churches. More churches are closing their doors than ever before. Less churches are starting than ever before. And this has led to a decline in missionary prospects and even missionary support. The reality is that the congregations are growing older as well. And as a result, so are le is leadership. There are less and less young adults filling the pews, which contributes to the alarming decline in missions overall. What hinders and hampers missions? Well, changing values and countless vacancies. Well, what else? Well, today I want to touch on this thought, clouded vision. We've already seen changing values, countless vacancies, but clouded vision. Proverbs chapter 29, would you turn there please? Turn if you would to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. When you get there, if you glance at it, you'll say, oh, I know that verse. Most of you will, some may not. 
Most will go, oh, I probably, if you've been in church for five or 10 or 15 years, you've heard this probably at some point. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Ghost. I desperately need you today. There is no doubt, Lord, that the world is slipping off into hell. And it seems so often that, like David said, there was no man that cared for my soul. Father, may we care. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that, Father, you would instill in us a, a love for the lost, that you would help us to see the needs of others and not only our own. And although you tell us that we need to meet those needs in our own lives and the lives of our families, we are not to just only meet those needs. We're to meet the needs of others as well. Oh, God, help us. We need you today. I pray you'd walk these, these aisles and that, Lord, you'd bring conviction and change to hearts and lives. Lord, as we even prepare, as we ready ourselves for this missions offering that we'll be taking for the coming year, we pray, Lord, that you would even now begin to ready our hearts and speak to us and reveal to us what you'd have us do. We need you, Lord. If we haven't already done that, please do so. Oh God of heaven, we need you today. Love you and thank you. We'll give you the glory for what will be accomplished. In Christ's name, amen. Where there is no vision, he says, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. A lot of times we take this passage and we remove that first phrase, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we make the application, obviously, to leadership. And we talk about how we must cast vision or vision cast. And we need to make sure that people understand the direction we're going and how we're going to get there. And that is true. There's absolute truth in all of that. The application is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. But I don't think doctrinally that's what he's addressing. What he's talking about is the Word of God. That the book that we hold in our hand every day, that the one that we are privileged to have in our possession is where vision comes from. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So if we lose our Bibles, if we lose the Word of God, we have no vision, we have no direction, we have no real leadership. As we look at our nation and we consider our country today, may I say to you that most of us realize and recognize that as a nation we have closed the Word of God. And it is now sitting on a coffee table somewhere, or it is locked away, or in some trash can somewhere, but it is not open on the desk of our leadership. As a result of that, we have no vision today, no direction, and no real leadership. Oh, we have worldly leadership, but that doesn't end up the way God intends it to most often. And as a result of that, we're a mess. Can I tell you today that the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people perish. What it's really saying is open your Bibles, get into my word and identify my purpose, my plan for you. I have a vision or a plan for you. And I, I want you to see it direct from the horse's mouth, if you will. I don't want you getting it secondhand. I want you to get it right from me. The Word of God, again, provides the man of God with vision. There is no real vision, as we said, outside of the Word of God. And sadly, more than not, our eyes have been diverted from the Word to the world today. Even as believers, it's so true. 
The devil continues to distract us from the only true source of guidance, the only true source of fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives, and that is none other than God's Word. If you come to me with a pornography issue, if you come to me with a marriage problem, if you come to me seeking advice and, and some kind of counsel, can I tell you where I'm going to point you? I'm going to point you to none other than Jesus Christ. I'm going to say, you need to open the Word of God. We need to get into the Bible. We need to learn more about who and what He's all about. We need to understand who He is. Our concept of God must align itself with God's concept of Himself, not my concept of God, not your concept of God, or the world's concept with God. we got to see Him the way He outlines Himself and describes Himself. That's the answer to every problem in this world is Jesus Christ and getting our eyes off of our problems and getting them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you say, that's too simple. Yeah, so go ahead and pay thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and go to a psychologist, psychiatrist, who will be more than happy to have you write checks every week and tell you that you will be broken the rest of your days. And you just have to keep depending on them to help you through and to cope. But Jesus doesn't want us to cope. He wants us to conquer in this materialistic and sinful world in which we live, the vision of, of reaching the lost for Christ's sake has been muddied. The early church fathers, man, I mean, they attacked this mission with reckless abandon. They hazard their lives. They, they hazard their futures for the cause of Christ. They press forward with laser focus. Their, 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 theirs was a single-minded approach, the cause of Christ and reaching the lost at any cost. That's what it was all about. Armed with the word of God and the promises of God, these men of God went boldly into the world with the message of a resurrected Savior. Adonair Judson, he was a missionary to the Burmese people, and he found himself lying in a Burmese jail with, they claimed, 32 pounds of chains on his ankles, his feet bound by a bamboo pole. And a fellow prisoner cynically said to him, Dr. Judson, what about the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? He knew why he was there, to reach the heathens for the gospel, to win people that were lost to Jesus Christ. Oh, Dr. Judson, what about the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? Instantly, he said, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Yeah, I am sure that I am positive that the disciples in the back of their mind could hear the voice of Jesus Christ as he exhorted them to preach the word of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, would you please? If anybody faced troubles and trials, we know that those disciples and those apostles did in those days. And they were being persecuted and hunted down like, like wild animals. But I can only imagine they kept hearing the voice of Jesus Christ along the way. Matthew 10, verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You say, I'm not understanding what he's saying. Can I, let me, let me, let me try to um, interpret it. Here it is, ready? Let her rip! That, that's... 
Let it rip. Don't be silenced, no matter how harsh the opposition. Keep on shouting the truth from the housetops. See, those that could kill the body are the religious leaders in that day. That's who he's talking about. And they demanded that the apostles be silent. The one, on the other hand, who can kill soul and body in hell is none other than God himself. And Jesus was saying, don't you fear or obey those earthly leaders, but rather fear and obey God. Oh, they'd be tested right out of the chute. Those Jewish authorities forbade them from speaking the truth, from telling and teaching the name of Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 17. Right off the bat. I mean, it wasn't long. Jesus has ascended. Pentecost took place. Peter and John are preaching the word of God and talking about a risen, resurrected Savior. And all of a sudden, they're meeting opposition right off the bat. Look in Acts chapter 4, verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. Acts chapter 4, verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You notice they didn't tell them don't speak about God. Don't talk about even just simply creator. Don't talk about, don't, they didn't say, don't, 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 don't talk about uh, uh, a supernatural presence. <clears throat> no, they said, don't teach in the name of Jesus. Got real specific, see. You know, as believers, you know why you're going to heaven? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You don't even have access, nor do I, to God except through Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What name? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Oh, I believe in God. So do the devils. They believe too. But they will not submit nor yield to Christ and his way of salvation. Oh, Jesus is the key. Well, I have good conversations with family. They all believe in God, so they'll all be in heaven. Not necessarily, no. Unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary, his payment for their sin, they're lost as lost can, can be. I don't care how religious they are. I don't care how spiritual they are. They're still lost unless they have embraced and received Jesus Christ. Very, very important. That's why the Jewish leaders despised these men. Not because they preached about God, the very God who they claimed they believed in, but because they proclaimed Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. God in flesh, Emmanuel. But guess what? They had passed the test. They'd speak from the housetops. They wouldn't be silenced. They let her rip. In Acts chapter 4, verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. You're the big spiritual leaders. You've been to Bible college. You've learned all about the Word of God. You judge. Should we listen to you or should we be listening to God? 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Man, if you would have only gotten off your high horse and hung around us for a while with Jesus while he was on earth, you'd be right here with us preaching and proclaiming a resurrected Christ. But no, you didn't. We know what we've seen. We know what we heard. We were there. That's why we can be witnesses. Because we've seen and heard it all. You know what? When it all was said and done, how in the world did they pass the test? Because they had a vision from on high. They see, they had the word of God. They had heard the words of Jesus Christ. They provided clarity. They were provided, uh, uh, and it provided clarity in regards to their purpose. We read it earlier in our our passage uh, when we kicked off the message. We talked about Matthew as Jesus prepared. Go ye into all the world and Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know that he goes on to tell them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, he shall receive, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the most part of the earth. Man, the word of God is ringing in their ears. Guess what it's providing them with? Vision. See, missions demands a clear purpose. A clouded vision's not going to get the job done. There's got to be a clear purpose first. See, Jesus had a clear purpose. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Just going to give you a heads up. We're never going to finish this message. Just a heads up. So if at some point you go, wow, I feel like I got left hanging here. Because you did. We could extend the service for probably another 20 minutes. I probably could get through it. Let's take a vote right now. No, no, it's not. We got, we got to get our, our, our bus ministry moving. We got to get our nursery workers back to safety. <clears throat> Notice missions demands a clear purpose. And over here we see Jesus' purpose very clear. Luke 19, 10, he simply said... For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what he's saying, don't you? Uh, why did you come to earth? Glad you asked. To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I'm here. Well, you're here to heal people. No. That's not really why I'm here. I heal people so that I can seek and save that which is lost. I can, I can draw them in that way. I use it as a tool to get the crowds together where I can then present myself to them, where I can ultimately reveal to them that I am Messiah and that it's me they must put their faith and trust in and not the Sadducees, the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of their day or possibly some Old Testament system. They need to believe in me, Jesus. Well, you came to just help people. No, not really. No. No, I help people because I have a purpose, and that's to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost people are hurting, so when I help them find me, guess what? It helps them stop hurting. So that, that's how it works. You say, he didn't come to help people? Well, He helped people while he was here, but you asked what was his purpose? To seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, so 
Uh, why do you go to work? Why do you uh, sing in the choir? Why do you uh, uh, join a bowling team? You say, well, because I want some relaxation. I want to enjoy myself. Jesus would have said, I joined the, the, the bowling team so that I would have more contacts and I could reach people so that I can seek and to save that which was lost. I go to work every day because I understand I have a responsibility to provide my family, but my real purpose for existing is seeking to save that which is lost. I use it as a mission field. See, we've got it mixed up today. We've got it kind of backwards. Everything else is our purpose for living, and then we kind of sprinkle in a little bit of seek and save. You know, really, let's be honest, right? I mean, we even, church is kind of an afterthought sometimes for us. Oh, man, we got the missions conference. Oh, great. I'm going to have to be up there two extra nights this week. Right? I mean, not everybody's saying that, but I'm saying that's how we can feel if we're not careful. When in reality, that, that's an awesome opportunity. If our real purpose was to seek and to save, and honestly, we're to be more like Christ every day, so guess what? Our purpose ought to be in alignment with his. I mean, that's what he charged the church, and guess who's part of the church? You. So every last one of us are to do this work. Why do you breathe? You're breathing so that you can seek and save that which is lost. Because when God's finished with us, he'll just take us home. He's left you here with a purpose. And that to boil that purpose down, it, it, it goes right with what Christ came for. He says over in the book of Romans chapter 8 that we're to be conformed to the image of his dear son. That means to be just like him. We, we're to look like him, act like him, and be like him. And guess what? Our purpose is the same, to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, you know what? When a missionary has a clouded vision, when a missionary can't identify what their real purpose for being a missionary is, when they go around from church to church and they ask for our money and they ask for our prayers, and yet they don't have a clear vision of what their purpose and reason for existing is, guess what, can I tell you? It's not headed in the right direction. See, missions demands a clear purpose. Without a clear purpose, missions will flounder about as a fish out of water. The missionary must recognize the biblical call to go and the divine priority to go. That priority, souls being saved. It's not just to bring food aid. It's not just to put clothes on their backs. It's not just to eliminate or alleviate their suffering. No. That is not the real purpose. That is a byproduct. That's something they do in order to accomplish or fulfill possibly their purpose or calling. But their real purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost. When this purpose is neglected or abandoned, there will be little reason for God to honor the missionary or the mission. When a missionary replaces God's purpose for missions with his or, own, his, with his or her own purpose... No matter how noble the cause, it's a losing cause in light of eternity. So a missionary must have a clear purpose. To seek and to save that which is lost, no matter the cost. Boy, I came up with this saying. Listen to it. It's actually, I think it's pretty good. If, 
I really do. Listen to this. I, I, don't, I don't get these revelations often. <laughs> Listen to this. Don't tell me you heard this somewhere. Don't, don't burst my bubble. Watch this. Jesus had a clear purpose for coming. We must have a clear purpose for going. Ah, I thought that was pretty good. You say, that's stupid. No, I think it's good. He had a clear purpose for coming. We have to have a clear purpose for going. What did he say? Go ye into all the world. We have to go with a very clear purpose. We got to know why we're going. Missionary shows up here and they start talking about this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do. And I think, well, where, where, how are you going to win souls? For instance, I'm going to start a radio station and then we're going to play good gospel music. You better not stop with the gospel music part. You better start going into the gospel. Because if you're not going to give the gospel and help reach people with the Lord, then you, we don't, you don't need our support. Because that's not a very clear vision. That's a muddied vision. It's all about seeking and saving that which is lost. This morning, we're going to start taking up our offering, our faith promise offering. You know why we do that? Because as a church, we are convinced we need to seek and to save that which is lost. And as we talked about the other day, I just mentioned it in the service last week, faith promise having people actually make commitments based on faith and saying, Lord, what do you want me to give to missions above my tithes and offerings? Above. I don't want to, I, I, I could just look at my budget and figure out how much I can afford, but that's not what I'm asking, Lord. I'm asking you what you want me to do in this area of reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. You tell me, and I'll do it, because here's the thing, let's be honest. Most of us, most never, ever, ever know what it is or have known what it is to live by faith. You say, oh, you don't. I'm just saying, as a, as a thing, let's just say money as a tool. Not too many have had to literally pray in their dinner at some point. Not too many. There's some. There are some. But let me ask you. When you pay your bills, are you thinking, Lord, if you don't give me this much money, my electric will be turned off? Have you ever been there? And if you have, you may have at that moment lived by faith. The question is, how often do we live by faith today? And, and you know what faith promise does for us? It gives us an opportunity to actually extend or expand our faith, to exercise our faith. It gives us an opportunity to see God in action because it's not till God does the impossible that our faith increases. Keep your money if you want it. Honestly, I don't care. I'll be honest with you, I don't care. I know God's responsible for our faith promise outreach. God's responsible to take care of this building. If he wants it to all come down, then let it come down. I, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not going to let money make my decisions. I'm, I'm not going to let money keep me up all night long. Long time ago. But I'm telling you as your pastor, I want you to understand that if you really want to experience Christ firsthand, you're going to have to take steps of faith. This is to help you. Faith Promise not only provides us with over over probably 15% more than we would if we just tithed off of our general income. 
oh, well, we get $600,000 in a year with tithes and offerings. Let's take $60,000 and give it to our missionaries. Now we're operating off of $540,000 this year. No, we get the whole six hundred, dollars and guess what? We have a missions offering of over $150,000. You say, how's that happen? Because people exib- exhibited faith. People exercised faith. And guess what came in so far? 170000 You say, that's crazy. I don't need to give then. See, this isn't about whether we met our budget this year. It's a, this is a brand new year. And furthermore, guess what? You know who the people were that benefited most from Faith Promise last year? Are the ones that said, I'm going to give what God tells me, not what I can afford. Because they had to exercise faith and they watched God do something miraculous. And they went, you know what? God's real. He's actually up there. (laughs) It's not just something I hear about in Sunday school class. It's not just the message from the pastor. I mean, he actually heard me. He told me and he gave it to me. And there were times I thought I wasn't going to do it. I thought for sure we were going to go bust. But he did it. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm not saying that you, 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 know, that you mortgage the house. That's not what I'm telling you. Don't do it. If you want to get rid of your house, give it to me. <laughs> don't mortgage it. You, you don't want to be corrupted by that instant money and then just spend it all and waste it. Just give it to me. I'll take care of it for you. The truth is, though, is that we need to live by faith. And so... Faith promise. Jesus came to seek and to save. Guess what? We're here to do the same. How will we do that? I'm going to go to the Dominican Republic soon. I'm going to go over there along with a group of people from our church. We're going to help with buildings. We're going to help, uh, you know, uh, tear up flooring and put new flooring down. We're going to paint walls and do all kinds of stuff in a, a church plant that they have going over there. But every day, from what I understand, at least five of those days that we're over there, we're going to be out canvassing, we're going to be out passing out tracts, we're going to be trying to get people to come out so that they can hear the gospel and be saved. That's what we're still doing today. And you know what? That's what we need to do here at Community Baptist. And every missionary that walks down this aisle and takes their place behind that pulpit, they have to have a clear purpose. And you know what? In the Bible, it's all outlined for them. That's what's so great. What's your plan? And they go, hmm, well, I'll have to get back to you. I'll write it all out. I think, why write it out? It's already written out. It's in the Bible. It's already written out. It's already there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Without a vision, the people perish. What he's saying is, guess what? You got that word and you open it up, you know exactly what direction to go. You know exactly what's important. And you know exactly what your purpose and reason for existing is. Missionary, all you have to do do is do exactly what I had them do in the early church. You reproduce yourself in someone else. They'll reproduce themselves in someone else. And all of a sudden, it won't just be addition. It'll be multiplication, and we'll be reaching a country for Jesus Christ. Boy, we need that in America today, don't we? We've got to get back 
to, multiple, to, to reproducing ourselves. We've got to get back to it. Well, you know Christ is your Savior. Wouldn't it be a shame today for you to show up here today in this service and hear about missions and how the early church went around the world proclaiming a resurrected Christ? Wouldn't it be a shame to show up here and hear us talk about how as a church our purpose and our, our goals should be to see people saved no matter what area or arena it is, whether it's our <clears throat> missions conference or whether it's just our big day out on the, uh, on the uh, parking lot out there just a few weeks ago. Why did we do what we did to seek and to save that which is lost? It would be a shame to show up here as we talked about the purpose of every believer, that it's our responsibility to reach everyone we can with the gospel. And yet you would sit here today and hear all of that. It would be such a shame if you would walk out these doors and never once hear about Jesus who can wash your sin away, remove your guilt and shame, place you in his family, and give to you an eternal home in heaven. You know, he'll do that for you just like he did for me, just like he did for countless others here. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you ever invited Christ into your life? If you haven't, today's the day to do it. And as a believer, maybe we need to come to an altar today and say, Lord, I need to be, I need to be, excuse me, I need to be more, I'll talk to you later, thank you. I need to be more focused on others. I need to focus more on others. And I need to be more taking the gospel out. Maybe in an altar you can tell the Lord that. Help me to be more aware of my, my, work, my workmates, those that I work with every day, my, those that I go to school with. Maybe you just need to say, I want to know what you want me to give for missions this month, this, this year. Hey, either way, the altars are open to you. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to open the altars up. If you need Christ as your Savior, you make your way right down the aisle and see me at the front or Brother Kavanaugh. If you need to pray, the altars are yours. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, that you'd be glorified. Lord God of heaven, we can't do this without you. We need you. We love you. We just pray, Father, that you would just do a work in each heart and life today. Holy Spirit, bring conviction to the lost, and may they come to Jesus Christ. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.